Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Praise God. Amen. While you're turning there, I'll share with you that we had 175 people here Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. We're thanking God for that. Amen. You may remember, and I'm not trying to be a downer after you just clapped your hands, but you may remember that that was where we were hitting routinely pre-pandemic, that we were right in that number, and uh, we're now getting back to that place, and uh, we're thanking God for that, and thanking God for what he has in store, and uh, the reason why I don't worry too much about what seems to be a couple years lost is because God can do a quick work, amen? And nothing that ever comes upon the earth, amen, is going to keep any hungry soul from getting connected to their God. Amen. Not going to keep any hungry soul from getting connected to their God. And so I thought that was exciting. And uh, so many of them, uh, we only had a few first-time guests. We had several returning guests, people that this is their third or fourth time now coming. And uh, that's very exciting as well. So we remember to keep... Amen. Doing our work. Amen. We got to be making the connections. We got to be having the conversations. Amen. And uh, the disciple making process. Amen. We need everybody, all hands on deck. Right? Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 7, just as a jumping off part tonight. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Amen? God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And uh, I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. I want to talk about being called to holiness. Amen. Find three or four people, give them a high five, tell them you're glad that they are here. Amen. Called to holiness. Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse one tells us, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, I want to look at a couple words that we can pull out of this verse in 2 Corinthians 7. The first one is perfecting, which means to fulfill, to finish, to perform. And the word holiness, as we'll build it more as we go, but it has, amen, the connotation of sacredness here, something that is sacred. 
Holiness is having a reverent devotion towards God and living in obedience to please God. This helps us to understand uh, our role when it comes to our own holiness. That we are not just automatically holy. Somebody say amen. We are not just automatically holy. We sure were not born holy. And we do not just become completely and totally holy the moment that we have our first ounce of faith in God or the moment that we declare that we believe in God or the moment we're repenting or we're baptized or even filled with the Holy Ghost. We do not just become automatically holy, but we are to grow in or to develop in holiness as we pursue after a holy God. The Apostle Paul lets us know in Philippians 3, 12 through 14, and I'm just going to tell you we have a lot of scriptures tonight, so if you're writing them down, good for you. These are good holiness scriptures. In Philippians 3, 12 through 14, not as though I had already attained, Paul says, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, amen, I'm not gonna spend much time on this tonight, but if you're ever going to grow in holiness, there's some things you're gonna have to leave behind and that you're going to have to allow yourself to forget about some things that are under the blood. Somebody say amen. amen. And forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth under those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So have we arrived at perfection or have we arrived at a place of, of God-like holiness? The answer is no, absolutely not, not a place of God-like holiness. But this verse of scripture tells us things like we follow after, that we may apprehend, that we reach forth and we press towards the mark. And so these are verses that are full of action, right? There's a lot of human action here. There's a lot of human activity, things that I can do. They convey a very strong sense of my role in the process of holiness. One of the things we cannot forget is that we have a role in holiness. We have a role in our process or in our progression. We have a role in that. These words are partnered with words like sanctify, and they're partnered with words like sacred. Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. Now we have to see it once again. Cleanse ourselves. How do we cleanse ourselves? Because we talk a lot about repentance and we talk a lot about uh, people coming to God the first time, repenting the first time, and God is faithful and just. We talk a lot about baptism, which is a one-time event when it's done 
biblically, and, and we, we believe in the power of that, amen, to deal with sin and cleansing of sin. But when he's speaking of cleansing ourselves, it's not just about the, the first act of repentance. It's not just about the biblical one-time act of baptism, but these are beginnings. That's the beginning. Somebody say, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning of a process that leads or should lead to daily life changes. Amen. Daily life changes. We know that no one can forgive and cleanse sin but God, right? We all are on the same page on that. But the process by which we live our daily lives in a sinful world should absolutely begin to change when we encounter God. It should absolutely begin to change. Things should begin to be different. When we truly encounter a holy God, there's some things about how I live my life, how I think in my mind, what I speak out of my mouth, there's some things that absolutely would begin to change. The Bible tells us in James chapter four and verse seven, it says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, understand, this is a powerful verse of understanding because submission to God is necessary for forgiveness and cleansing, right? I cannot find uh, forgiveness from God unless I repent. Repentance uh, is a form of brokenness before God. It's a form of me saying, in my humanity, I have a God that is higher than me, who has more authority than I have. And I have to humbly submit myself to him as God and ask him to forgive me of my sins. And so the, that submission part is necessary for the forgiveness and for the cleansing of my sin. But he doesn't just say, submit yourselves there to God. He also says, resist the devil. He doesn't say, just submit yourself to God and everything will work out fine. He says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he, the devil, will flee from you. So we also have to submit, but we also have to resist some things in our lives. The process of holiness is being directed by God onto what things I need to start resisting. Both of these actions have a result. Both of them separate us from sin unto God or unto holiness. They separate us from sin unto God. Amen. I've said it so many times, who knows how many times, but the one I think I love the most about God is he never asks you to separate yourself from something without offering you something better in its place. Amen. That's one of the things I love so much. Sanctify. The word means to purify, but not just to purify. It means to purify and consecrate, which means to dedicate to divine purpose. To consecrate means to dedicate something for God to use it. Amen. And so I'm not, it's not just to purify it, but also to consecrate it. 
So our pursuit of holiness, my pursuit of holiness, is a process of the word sanctification. It's the process of dedicating myself to God for his purpose. It's the process of allowing him to make me a worthy vessel. It's a process of allowing him to do the work necessary in me that I can become something he can use. Amen. Because a holy God, amen, wants to use holy things. So which part of us is to be holy? What part of me, pastor, then has to be holy? Well, Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonica, First Thessalonians 5.23, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Notice the word there. We're talking about holiness, but that's not the word. It's W-H-O-L-L-Y. Sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, He uses this word, holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, which means complete to the end or to absolute perfection. He says that God, he's praying for them. It's a a teaching, it sounds like a prayer. The very God of peace sanctify you holy. The very God of peace sanctify you or set you apart for you to be used in holy things, that he would do that unto the end. And he says that your spirit, soul, and body, which means my entire being, every part of me. So which part of me is to be holy? All of me. Which part? All of me. From the inside to the outside. Everything that I am is supposed to pursue holiness and to be holy. So we don't just act holy when we're at church. In fact, if you ever have the thought come into your mind that you need to act holy, you're doing it wrong. All right? Act holy is not a thing. You can be holy or not. You can't just act holy. You can act like what you think holiness is. But the problem with acting what you think holiness is, is then you're missing part of it. Because I could, I could act and present myself in what I think holiness is how I'm supposed to present myself, but my heart wouldn't be right. That's why the whole being is called the holiness. So we don't just pretend holiness, uh, we don't just pretend it like we're characters in a play or something. We don't just do holy things when it's enjoyable or when it's convenient or when we feel like it or when somebody might see us. We are biblically directed to be in pursuit of holiness, to be in the process of holiness. We should be able to point out, and this, this is a... This is important for me to say this next part after I just said that because I fear that sometimes people hear me say that you should be pursuing holiness and that somehow they use that as a justification for, you know, I know I haven't done anything 
to grow myself in holiness in years, but I'm still pursuing. That's not true, is it? You wouldn't, nobody would call that pursuing something. If you haven't tried anything, done anything, or changed anything in years, then what are you pursuing? So I want to follow up this idea that we should be pursuing holiness and in process of holiness, that we should be able to point out areas of sanctification in our lives. We should be able to point out areas, and I'm not saying for the masses, I'm not saying we just tell everybody, hold on, I want to tell everybody how much holier I am today than I was last week. But I'm saying for ourselves, with our God, we should be able to point at things in our life and say that I, I, the sanctification process or, or the, the holiness process, the work of God in my life, I'm closer to God now than I used to be. There's things in my life that I had to, that I had to get rid of or separate myself from so that I could be more useful to God. And I should be able to see those things. I should be able to recognize those things. Amen. And so that's an important aspect of it. Pastor Brown, do you mind lowering my monitors a little bit? I feel like I'm right on the verge of ringing and it's messing with my mojo. I keep thinking about it, so it's messing me up. And so we, we, we have to be able to point out some things, some part of ourselves. We, have, we, need, we want to get to the place where we can honestly say that there are, there are parts of our lives, in fact, as, as time goes on, that you'll be able to say, the majority of my life is, is completely dedicated to God's purpose. That God could use me to do whatever he wants to do with me. That I am a vessel that is sanctified, ready to be used. That's what we're trying to get to. That's not, once again, perfection. It's not perfection, but we're growing in that area. It needs to be a, a something that we have significant and noticeable activity in. The idea of holiness is important for an understanding of God. It's important for an understanding of worship. It's important for understanding the people of God because holiness is not something that's just like, you know, you find it in one chapter in one place. Holiness is throughout the entire Bible. It's throughout the entire Bible. And so and, and understanding holiness is something that matters. It matters in the Old Testament. It matters uh, in the Old Testament when we're looking at the, the temple or the tabernacle and how things operated and who was allowed to do what. There were people, right, that God set apart. Said, your family's gonna be a family of priests. And because you're gonna be a family of priests, there's gonna be certain things that you're gonna have to do. And if you don't do those things, then I don't recommend you go into the holy place. But if you do those things I'm telling you to do, then you can go into the holy place. Right? And so this, this, this is all throughout the scripture. In the Old Testament, holy is important. As the priest I just mentioned in worship, we see it, holiness is very important in the book of Leviticus. We find uh, holiness is in the prophets. We find Isaiah in his title for God, the Holy One of Israel. We see the word is also found repeatedly in the Psalms. The psalmists talk about the holiness of God. 
God is holy. His name is holy. Isaiah 47, 4. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Holiness uh, is, is all throughout the Bible. And all throughout the Bible, it always tends towards separation and uniqueness. It's always involved in separating us from things and to some things. 2 Corinthians 6 and 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Once again, do you see the activity? Do you see our action? Come out from among them. He doesn't say, Wherefore, I will pull you out from among them. He doesn't say, I will pick you up and take you out of there. He says, you have to decide to come out from among them. He says, if, if, you, if you do that, come out from among them, then you will be separating yourself. And if you separate yourself and you keep your hands off of unclean things, then I will receive you. So it's not just a one-time decision, but I have to truly separate myself from some things I can't separate myself from it on Sunday and go back and touch it again on Monday and be like, well, why isn't God using me? Why isn't God changing me? Why am I not growing in this area? So that's not how it works. A, a simple word study of this verse makes it abundantly clear. He says, come out. Come out there means to depart. It means to escape. It means to go away. I like that. I like that the definition is broad like that because there are times when God's saying, you just need to go out from that. There are other times when God is trying to get you to escape. You know the difference. Going out feels a little bit more casual. I just maybe some things I need to just go out from. Escape means if you stay in that much longer, you might not get out. And God is calling us to escape some things, come out from among them. And that's what's, that's what's interesting. He says, come out from among them. This departing, escaping, going away is connected to a them. To a them. Who is them? Well, I would say them is anyone that is drawing you into sin and away from holiness. That's who them is. <laughs> now, we understand the spiritual aspect. We get it. You've never heard me preach a condemnation against any human being. You've heard me over and over. We take the stance of Christ on the cross. Forgive them, Lord. They know not what they do. But they were still a them. Forgive them. He doesn't say, Lord, the, the devil's got all these people, the devil's done all this, the devil's this, the, the demon's that, the evil spirit's this. No, he says, them. And that's what he says here, come out from among them. There are people that we need to come out from among. Amen? Now I know you've heard me preach it. He tells, he tells uh, Paul, I believe I, pull, I, I took you out so that I could put you right back in. I took you out and I did all this work on you so that I could send you right back. And now I understand that and we believe that and we're thankful for that. 
Because we are a church that believes that we can be light in a dark world. And that we can go back into a world and we can make a difference in a world. We can even go back into a world that used to have us bound and we can help others find their freedom. We understand that. So we're never saying that holiness means that we're all supposed to just go lock ourselves away somewhere. That's not what he means by come out from among them. He's saying come out from among them and be you separate. He's talking about the things that they do, the way that they think, the way that they speak, the things that they believe. He's got, you got to separate yourself from that. Not from the fact that they're a lost soul that needs Jesus. Be ye separate. That phrase, be ye separate, listen close now. It means to set off by boundary or limit to exclude. You separate, we separate ourselves from the sin and those who are trying to pull us towards sin. To do that, we first have to create the separation, but that's not all it is. We create the separation, but then we, also, we have to put some boundaries up. Somebody say amen. We gotta put some boundaries in our life. Why? Well, two reasons. We'll blame our, we'll, we'll pick on ourselves first. We gotta put some boundaries up so that there'll be something to, to at least cause us to hesitate when we start going back. So that we'll run into something for at least a second. Now, I won't make you raise your hand, but anybody ever just ran right over a boundary? It was there, you put it there. You put it there in an altar on Sunday. And then you just ran right back over it again. Right. Well, maybe we didn't quite separate ourselves far enough. Maybe we didn't separate our heart enough. Maybe we didn't separate our mind enough. Maybe we said, I'm not gonna do that ever again, but I just sat there and thought about it all day long. Right? Maybe we, instead of studying after the things of God and going after the things of God, we begin to think about, well, maybe Egypt wasn't that bad after all. We should go back to Egypt. It's always been part of flesh. It's always been part of humanity to do that. Delivered from Egypt. Spend a little bit of time in the wilderness. Go without, go without a little bit. And all of a sudden, they're like, we want to go back. Right? Right? And what does God do? He says, I don't think you guys are far enough away yet. We need you to, let's just keep going. <laughs> You're not quite far enough away. He put a Red Sea between them and Egypt right off the bat. You ever think about that? Right off the bat. Oh, it's a miracle, wonderful, God's awesome. He killed, he, oh, look what he did to Pharaoh. You ever, want, you ever think that maybe part of that Red Sea was to keep them from going back? It was awesome that it delivered them. It was awesome that it destroyed Pharaoh and his army. But that also meant if they were going to go back to Egypt, they were going to run into that Red Sea again. And God wasn't going to be parting anything. You got to find your own way across. Amen. So we, 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 we run over those, those boundaries sometimes because we haven't separated ourselves enough. But what do we do? We separate ourselves again. We pray again. We repent again. We declare we don't want to do, be that anymore. We don't want to live that way anymore. 
and we create more distance and we build stronger boundaries. We build stronger boundaries. Now I'm gonna say something, I need you to hear me. There's gonna be some issues in your life that will always require that you have a strong boundary. Some things you will probably, over time, it'll lose a lot of its whatever and you won't even hardly think about it anymore. But there's gonna be some things that you're gonna make sure, you're gonna need that strong boundary. Right? So the first thing is, it keeps me from going back. But that's not the only reason for the boundary, is it? The other reason for the boundary is it keeps things from getting to me. It keeps things from getting to me. It creates a boundary and separation from some things so that they don't have easy access to me anymore. Right? It's, a, it's the shield of faith that puts out the fiery darts of the devil. So when, 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 I, when I begin to learn some things and I begin to learn about God, I begin to learn about faith. What does he give me? What is one of the first things he gives me? The shield of faith. Why? Because the devil's going to keep, just keep launching. He's going to keep launching fiery darts. And God's like, if you'll, if you, if you'll listen to me, I'm going to create something in you that is going to help that from that trying to get in won't be able to get in. And that's important to the process. It's important to my growth and my ability to grow in God because it's really hard to pursue holiness if it's always just one step forward, two steps back. It's really hard to pursue holiness if it's just, I'm just constantly, right? That doesn't work for anything in life. All right. So we have the boundaries that limit, that exclude some things. How many know God is love? How many know Jesus exemplified love more than anyone who ever lived on the earth? Right? We, that's undoubtedly true. But still, when Satan tried to pull Jesus into a sinful place, when he's in the wilderness and he's fasting, and he's about to enter into his ministry, and Satan tries to pull him into a sinful place that was contrary to God's purpose for his life on earth. Jesus responds, Matthew 4, 8, and 10, in one of his responses, he says, The devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdom of the world and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. And then Jesus saith unto him, Get thee hence. Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Satan represents sin and the temptation to sin. Right? And sin is what separates us from a holy God. So Jesus looks at this sin and the temptation to sin and says, leave. I'm going to create some separation here. Now the devil keeps coming back though, right? But Jesus keeps working on the separation. He keeps creating some separation. He says, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He tells him to leave, 
and he, 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 it's an act, notice now, it is an act in his humanity to separate himself unto the purpose for his life. He has a purpose. He has a reason. There's a reason why he comes. There's a job to be done. There's a ministry to be done. And he says, I gotta right off the bat separate myself from that which would try to pull me away from my purpose. Oh, hallelujah. So it's a declaration of who he is going to be and who he will serve in his humanity. And as we make changes in our life to separate from sin and unto holiness, we are declaring to the devil and anyone else, mind you, that might be paying attention, that I choose God's plan for my life. That's my choice and that's what I'm doing. Amen. I choose God's plan for my life. A person will automatically become more holy if they are pursuing God. It's automatic. It doesn't happen automatically if you don't. But if you pursue God, it will automatically begin to happen. One of my favorite things about holiness, whether it be the mind, body, soul, or spirit, whether it be on the inside or on the outside, one of my favorite things about holiness is that you never have to, you never have to manipulate, deceive, or try to bully or beat holiness into someone. All you really have to do is get them to pursue after God. If they'll pursue after God, Holiness will happen. Amen. Leviticus 19, one through two, and the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, ye shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, Leviticus, we know the book, and we know all of the different things it covers and how they're supposed to do this and how they're supposed to live this way and what this means and all of these things, all of this activity, human activity that God is asking them to partake in and how to partake in it, right? And so you get towards the end of Leviticus, and he says, after giving them all of this instruction on how to live and what to do, he says, ye shall be holy. He doesn't say you are. What is he saying? He's saying, if you'll obey me and submit to me and do all of these things, by the way, which all of them make your life better. None of them are just some mean old God up there who likes to make human beings do stuff. All of them are designed so that our lives become better. But he says, if you'll do all of these things and submit to all these things, then there's a promise. You shall be holy. Oh, hallelujah. You say, well, and, and how does he prove, what, what is his proof of that? What is, how does he back that up? He says, you shall be holy. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. He's saying that if you do all these things, you'll be pursuing me. And if you're pursuing me, you will become holy. Oh, hallelujah. So 
So for someone to declare that they are first a believer and then to declare that they are a servant of the Lord, for someone to declare that they are a Christian, there will automatically begin to be evidence of that. Right? There'll be evidence of that. They will separate from sin and they will progress towards God's holiness. Now the Gospels... The Gospels make clear that Jesus came to save his people from their sins. How many are thankful for that? The crucifixion is Christ shedding his blood and giving his body for the remission of sins. We're all thankful for that. The Holy Ghost is the agent of holiness for the New Testament church. I'm going to say it again. The Holy Ghost is the agent of holiness for the New Testament church and for the church today. In Acts 1.8, we know you receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. You're going to receive power. You're going to be my witnesses. Acts 2.4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. So you shall, and now they have. You shall do this, and then now they have done that. Acts chapter 5, and we are his witnesses of those things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given them that obey him. So now they are his witnesses, and they are also people of obedience. To who? To him. Right? So we see the progression happening. And being filled with the Holy Ghost... The Holy Spirit led them into transformation, into divine purpose. We begin to see this in Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So he says, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost, and they did. And when they receive the Holy Ghost, it's powerful. And it makes them witnesses, and they become obedient to him. And then as that progression reaches to that point, he says, okay, now I, I, I'm, I'm going to separate some people. I'm going to sanctify. I'm going to get some people jobs. I'm going to use them to do some things. They are at a place where I can use them. Everybody see it? Amen. For the work wherein I have called them. So what was holiness doing? Holiness is calling to us. It's calling to us. A holy God is continually calling to all of his creation, all of his, all of his human creation. He is continually calling. And he's calling people to the gospel. He's calling people to, to, to apply the gospel to their life. But that doesn't, that's not where his call stops. He calls people to, to receiving these things and, and being filled with his spirit and then being obedient to him. And he's calling them to a place where he can separate them for his use. Amen. You want to frustrate yourself 100% completely? Try to be something and do something for God that he is not ready for you to do. You want to drive yourself insane? <laughs> Try that. Try to put yourself into something. Force yourself into something that you are not ready, that holiness hasn't called you to. Amen. 
The work of the Holy Ghost in our lives is what keeps us pure. It's what keeps the church pure. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? So they have the Holy Ghost, right? He's talking to the Corinthian church. These are people that have already repented, been baptized, and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. He reminds them that you have the Holy Ghost. You are a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, by the way. You didn't get that on your own. God gave it to you. And ye are not your own. You remember that, right? You're not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body is not a God. It's saying they belong to God. Your body, your spirit belongs to God. Glorify him there in that. So he says specifically in your body and in your spirit. So there are things that affect my body, my physical being. I know that I'm a spiritual person. I know I got the Holy Spirit inside of me. And I know I'm a temple of the Holy Ghost. But that's not just illustratively. It's not just making an illustrative point. He's saying you literally are a walking temple of God. And because of that, your body has to be holy. Because he's a holy God. And his Holy Spirit is in you. So where, where would we get off thinking that a holy God would put his Holy Spirit and reside in something that would refuse to be holy? Amen. You say, well, why does God fill people with the Spirit then? Because his Spirit is what leads them in. Because it's grace. It's a grace of God. Amen. First Thessalonians 4 and 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Christians are called to holiness. First Corinthians 1 and 2, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. The church of God he's speaking of. The church, that's us. The church of God, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, set apart. He's talking about people that are set apart, that are called to be saints. There's a calling happening towards a higher realm of existence, a holy place. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? He says again, and this is in verse chapter 3. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Amen. We have to be holy. We have to allow God to work on us and change that which is not holy to be holy. We are led. We are to lead godly, righteous lives, being sanctified and made holy by the Holy Spirit through obedient submission to a holy God. Christianity is not just some ritual to be performed on Sundays. 
Christianity is abiding by biblical standards of personal holiness and in turn seeking to bring holiness into the world in which we live. Amen. How do I take a holy God into a world that desperately needs them? How do I, how do, I do that if I am not holy? How can Christianity claim to be light in the darkness if our life is not a light any more than those in the world? If we don't have anything different to offer, then what are we? If we don't have a different answer, a different path, a different road, what are we? We realize that we attain holiness to our relationship with him. That is how it happens, our relationship with him. The closer I get to him, the more holy I become. We strive to separate ourselves from sin with the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not only is it possible for us to be holy in this sense, but it is also necessary. Somebody say necessary. It's also necessary, Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It's not just a good thing. It's a necessary thing. It is a good thing. It's full of blessing. It's full of wonder. It's awesome. But it's necessary. We become holy by the grace of God. We, amen, through the work of the Holy Ghost in our lives. We recognize what God has done for us and the opportunities that he has provided for us. And because of that, we pursue after God and we pursue after holiness. And grace, grace is a teacher. You've heard me talk about this before. Grace teaches us. Grace is not just about how we get out of the clutches of hell. That's just how we are introduced to grace. But grace becomes our teacher in Titus 2, 11 through 14. It says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present, not in heaven someday, in this present, no matter how bad it gets, in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that we might redeem us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. This is the whole point. This is why he did what he did. Step one was getting us out of the fires of hell. Step one was getting us out of the clutches of the devil. Step one was the separating us from the sin that had us on a pathway to eternal destruction. That's just step one. But he's doing it so that he can create, he says, this peculiar people, a people of his own possession, people that were different. Yes, absolutely. Holy people are different. Yes. We embrace that. We are thankful for that. Amen. 
Yes, we're different. Yes, we look different. Yes, we talk different. Yes, we dress different. Yes, we go to different places. Yes, different things come out of our mouth. Yes, the world doesn't need the same thing they already got. What they got isn't helping them at all, and it didn't help us when we were in it. They need something different. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. And so we're a peculiar people. A people of his own possession, and we're zealous, he says, zealous of good works, which means they're wholehearted and they're impassioned about being used of God. Amen. They're zealous of good works. They want to be used of God. So grace brought, brought about our salvation, and grace teaches us to deny sin and pursue holiness. We are motivated by our, hope to, uh, by our hope of God being active in our lives, and we are motivated by heaven to come. Is anybody motivated by these things? We're motivated by having God active in our lives, that we're not on our own, that we're not just doing this, uh, but our own understanding. That motivates me, that encourages me, that means I can do more than I'm personally capable of because I've got a holy God who promises to use me if I position myself and he can use me in that sense. Amen. And so we're doing that. We're motivated and we are kept by Calvary and the cleansing and, and, and holiness separates us unto him alone. There are so many attributes of the nature of God, and I'm coming to an end here. There are so many attributes of the nature of God. God is holy. God is all-knowing. God is powerful. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient, right? God is all of, he's got so many of these unbelievable attributes. But the only attribute of God in that, in that sense that I can emulate is holiness. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And that word conversation is a broad term that speaks about my, the whole activity of my life. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. He's not calling me to be all-powerful. He's not saying I can be all-knowing. He's not saying that I can be omnipresent. He is saying I can be holy. So I want to just finish with this few things here. First of all, holiness is not now and will never be outdated. Can you just say amen again so I don't have to say it again? All right. Some people would like us to believe that holiness is old-fashioned, that it will change with time. They, they want us to uh, believe that the church will just evolve or simply leave holiness behind at some point. But in many Christian church organizations have already done so. And we are seeing the results of that poor decision in their rapid decline. If there was ever a time to take a scan of Christianity in the world and be able to say, holiness is a good idea. 
Separation from the world is a good idea. If there was ever a time to scan Christianity in our world today and see the destruction and the rapid decline of organizations, entire organizations that walked away from holiness, some of them walked away 50 years ago, 30 years ago, and some walked away just recently, five, 10 years ago, and you see the rapid decline in destruction, there was ever a time to just look at it and say, amen, holiness is something we need to hold on to. Holiness is something we need to make sure we don't ever let go of. First John 2, 15, 17 tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, there's a lot of definitions for what being of the world or what worldliness means. But one would be like this. Worldliness is to have a heart and mind shaped by the world's beliefs and values so that we engage in its sinful pleasures and we pursue its earthly treasures. That's what worldliness is. And my heart and my mind are shaped by the world's thinking and the world's beliefs and the world's ideology to the point that my, my values, that I begin to engage in their sinful pleasures and I begin to pursue after not a holy God, but earthly treasures. Holiness is never going to be an option that the true believer can either choose or refuse. Holiness is a prerequisite for all believers who want to please God. Without holiness, there is no other ability, there is no other attribute, there is no other talent, there is no other amount of success that is going to please the Lord. You cannot give enough money to bypass holiness. You cannot faithfully attend church enough to bypass holiness. Can't do it. Can't preach enough sermons to bypass holiness. You can't do it. You can't read your Bible through enough times to bypass holiness. Christ died to save us from our sins, not to keep us in our sins to bring us to something else, to deliver us into something else, to take us, to make us that peculiar people that are set apart, sanctified. It is not a good sign. It's never a good sign to hear a believer either defending or excusing their sin. And so I'll say to us, if we hear ourselves defending our sin or excusing our sin, the only thing you ever want to hear yourself do about sin is repenting of that sin. Because God wants to cleanse and righteous people. Stand with me if you would, please. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. And this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. If I say God is light. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. 
and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The more we pursue our holy God, the more holy we become. The more we pursue God, the more promises of God that come to pass in our lives. The more we pursue God, the more purpose of God comes to pass in our lives. It's a beautiful thing to live and pursue holiness in your life. It's a beautiful thing as the individual, and it's a beautiful thing as a church to have be made up of people who are pursuing holiness in their lives. Ephesians 5.27, last verse, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the church that he is wanting to present to himself. I want to be a part of that bride. I want to be a part of that church. And that church is going to care about holiness. And those people are going to care about holiness. And so we care about holiness. We care about holiness. And we let God do his work. We let God do his work. We let the Holy Spirit do its work. All of those verses I read tonight, all those things directing us, letting us know that holiness is not something that you can mandate upon someone. It's not something that you can just create a list and tell them you have to do this, this, and this. No, holiness is something that must begin when they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, you say, well, what happens before they're filled with the Holy Spirit? What do we we tell them about holiness then? We tell them that they need to repent. We tell them that they need to be baptized in Jesus' name. We tell them that God can forgive sin. We tell them that God can break bonds. He can deliver them from addiction. There's a thousand things that we can tell them. We're trying to lead them to the gospel so that when they're filled with the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit, we can go to work. Oh, hallelujah. And how many would raise your hand tonight and honestly say, whether you've had the Holy Ghost for a year or for 50 years, the Holy Spirit's still working on you. Still working on us. Amen? Still working on us. And that's the grace. That's the teacher that's always working on us. Lord, we love you so very Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.